Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a resource for those seeking to live well with chronic illness. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I'm the author of the Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook, and I'm using diet and lifestyle to best manage both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt. I'm a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant, also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I'm the author of the Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook, and I'm using diet and lifestyle to best manage my endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmunewellness.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. We also wrote a book called the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook Together that serves as a do-it-yourself guidebook to living well with chronic illness. If you're looking for more information about the autoimmune protocol, make sure to sign up for our newsletter at autoimmunewellness.com so we can send you our free quick start guide. It contains printable AIP food lists, a two-week meal plan, a 90-minute batch cooking video, a mindset video, and food reintroduction guides. This season of the podcast, Real Food on a Budget, is brought to you by our title sponsor, the Nutritional Therapy Association. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hey everybody, Mickey here. Welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, Season 3. How's it going today, Angie? It's going well. I'm excited to talk about this topic. I know it's kind of weird, but I'm sort of into it. So today we're continuing our discussion related to the topic of the season, real food on a budget. Today's episode is going to be about options for sourcing high quality meat. So, you know, this is one of the important parts of the autoimmune protocol diet, whether or not you are on the elimination diet or you've done some reintroductions, making sure that uh, you have some high quality meat on your plate is definitely important. So first, let's have a chat about this concept of good, better, and best. Um, Angie, do you want to kind of give a little overview of what we mean by that? Yeah, it's basically a scale that we like to use when we're comparing food quality. I think we kind of first developed it when we wrote our book. Is that right, Mickey? Yeah. Um, When we wrote... Yeah, when we wrote the autoimmune wellness handbook, we kind of developed this scale because we really wanted folks to understand that just going for it um, in terms of making a dietary change for healing is worthwhile, even if it can't be perfect. We wanted to kind of dispel this perfectionism myth and and help folks kind of understand that there's a scale here and how to best use that scale for whatever your budget and your sourcing abilities are. Yep. So, you know, and I think that's really important that you highlighted two reasons why it might be different. So budget and accessibility, sometimes people have barriers in both those areas, some of them one and not the other. So just because you can afford something doesn't mean that you can always find it and vice versa. Yeah. So let's start at the far end of the scale. So uh, let's start with good. 
you know, when we say good in terms of uh, meat quality, we're talking about if you can't afford or source organic grass fed or pastured meats or wild caught seafood, you can focus on buying leaner cuts of conventionally raised meats. You can still try to make sure they're at least hormone free. They should be. There are regulations around this stuff, but you can work on adding more organ meats and fish to your diet. Um, Conventionally raised organ meat is inexpensive and it's still very nutrient dense and farmed fish is better for you than no fish at all. Now, I know there's a lot of folks out there that are going to bulk at that, but um, you can even check in with the paleo mom. She's done the research here. It's better to, to get some fish in no matter what. You can also consider wild caught canned salmon, tuna, or sardines, which are relatively cheap, but they're still packed with the nutritional value. Be sure to look for canned fish that's free of soy and spices, though, if you're following the autoimmune protocol. And then you can limit how much conventionally raised poultry you eat, since it does have the lowest value in terms of nutrition. You know, and what you what we mean by buying leaner cuts of other kinds of meat is, you know, looking for uh, less fat, the, the toxins that kind of accumulate in an animal that's been fed a less than, than healthy diet um, tend to be in the fats. So, you know, if you bought uh, conventionally raised pork, you'd trim off the fat on those pork chops. Um, If you had to buy conventionally raised beef, you'd trim off the fat there. That's what we mean by leaner. Yeah, and that kind of goes a little bit against what we normally recommend with AIP, which is to eat the fat, and that's because we are advocating for eating higher quality meat, but it's totally okay and there is no shame if you can only afford conventionally raised meat. Just be cautious with kind of that fat content, and, and a lot of people actually ask about the organ meats, and they think that maybe because it's conventionally raised that those are a no-go, but actually organ meats are very lean and uh, and conventionally raised organ meats are still okay. So that is, and, and they're very, very affordable. The next level up is what we call better. So um, kind of one step above good is if you can afford or source some organic grass-fed or pastured meats or even that wild-caught seafood, focus on buying those fatty cuts. So this is where you can kind of play with the boundary between, um, you know, the different food qualities that you have available to you. So like we said, that fat is really good for you and it's also where a lot of the toxins are, are stored. So if you can afford a little bit of that higher quality stuff, think those fatty roasts, maybe some salmon fillets, you might even be able to find some high quality ground meat on sale from time to time so you can stock up and freeze that. So that's kind of how you can use both of those categories to your advantage if you have a little bit in your budget for a little bit higher quality meat. Right. And then the the next step up, this is the the other far end of the scale. This is what we call best. We refer to as best. That's getting all your meat and seafood, organic grass fed or pastured and wild caught. You know, that's kind of like the ideal that we hope we're all aiming for. You know, our budget and our sourcing is able to meet both of these. This is like finding farmers or fishmongers from whom you can buy directly in bulk in order to save the most money while still getting the highest quality. You can ask these farmers about buying beef, pork, or lamb in holes, halves, or quarters. So this is buying, you know, the whole animal, half the animal, quarter of the animal to save money. You might be able to share meat with a group of friends if you don't have enough freezer space or you don't need to have such large quantities of meat. You know, buying in this bulk 
keeps the cost down, but you may not have a need for all of that. So sharing is one way to deal with it. It gives you the advantage of the lower bulk price and the higher quality meat. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really think, you know, at this best level, you know, we're not really saying that this is food source from a grocery store, but actually at, at the highest level, you know, ideally you're working directly with a farmer that is local to you. So, you know, for some people, they don't have local farms around them. You might be ordering meat online from, from different sources that maybe ship you frozen meat or something. But ideally, um, everyone should have, you know, in a perfect in a perfect world, we all have local farms that are raising sustainable and healthy meat that we can actually work directly with. And then you can actually go kind of see what the animals are eating and how they're being treated and all of that um, is kind of another add on to that. So maybe, Mickey, um, we could talk about how each of us sources our own protein because we, we have different approaches. Yeah, for sure. We we live on opposite sides of the country. Our local food systems are a little bit different and kind of our life stages and living situations are a little different too. So uh, I live on a farm, although uh, we don't raise a lot of animals for meat here, but I live in a farming community. So access to quality meat is actually pretty easy for me. One of my neighbors raises a few cattle every year just for the neighborhood on grass. So I buy a cow from my neighbor and uh and we have it frozen we buy half and my uh, mom and my sister buy the other half so we split it and i keep it in the deep freezer and that lasts us about a year for salmon we have a csa because i live in the pacific northwest so there are a lot of salmon csas where uh, a company will go up to alaska in the summer and they will fish for salmon and then freeze everything on the boat and then bring it back and and you buy it and 10, 20 pound boxes. So um, we get a couple boxes in the summer and that lasts us for the whole year. And then chicken is actually hardest for me to source just because it's very seasonal in my area. So I do have some great farms that raise chicken, but not only is it very expensive, but, um, you know, they'll raise a group of chickens and then um, they will harvest all of them. And then when you buy them, I'll usually buy maybe 12 or 15 chickens. It takes up a lot of room. And um, and that's the one that I have a harder time planning with. So ideally, I get them in whole chickens bulk from a local farm, but uh, I do supplement that with some of the maybe better quality like whole foods chicken and then pork i have got sourced pork locally from different farms by the half but this year we're actually raising our own pigs for the first time so that's kind of exciting in the past though you know now i've kind of maybe got it pretty figured out because i lived on a farm and and it's a lot easier for me than a lot of other people to source meat Um, But I will say I have lived in the city before I lived out here in the country and I have had to have some pretty creative sourcing ideas to get really good meat on the table. So some things that I did when I lived in Seattle, um, first off, I had a deep freezer when I had a living situation that wasn't really ideal for a a deep freezer. So I really prioritized that and bought a little one. It, It wasn't giant by any means, but I realized early on that being able to store meat long term in a freezer was going to help me get more affordable meat and so that was great. I did a CSA for a while in Seattle where they would deliver meat 
monthly. So I think it was something like 10 or 15 pounds of meat they would deliver in a cooler into the neighborhood. And then you'd go to the house and kind of pick up your order. And that was really handy because that was before I had the deep freezer. Another thing that I did um, just as far as like affordability, there was a, a local farm that I liked to buy organ meat at the farmer's market because their prices I couldn't afford for the muscle meat, but I was buying organ meat from them because it was like three, four dollars a pound for like heart or liver or kidney. And I asked them one day, you know, do you guys ever end up with like a bunch of leftover like freezer burned uh, meat at the end of the season? And they were like, yeah, we have like a freezer full of that. And I was like, well, what if I bought a quarter of a cow, but just in freezer burned meat, would you give me a deal? And they were like, actually, if you, we'll charge you for a quarter of a cow, but we'll give you a half a cow, but we'll just give you like all of the old stuff. And I was like, heck yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so, you know, all I had to do was kind of slice off that little freezer burned piece and it really wasn't that big of a deal. And I got really high quality meat and it was really cheap. I actually, uh, shared it with my brother who was trying to eat healthier. And, um, and so that was one thing I did. Um, another thing that we did when we lived in Seattle was we had a friend who had some, uh, lambs that they offered to sell us one. And my husband wanted to learn how to harvest them. So they were like, if you come out to the farm for a day and help us harvest, um, some of the lambs, then, you know, we'll give you one. So we did that. And, um, you know, my husband has been kind of into hunting and fishing throughout the years. So that's been kind of another alternative way of getting some, you know, obviously wild meat. Awesome options there. I love hunting and fishing. I know it's, it's not always a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, not always a guarantee. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little more fun than useful, but, um, it, it's nice when it works out. Yeah, right. So I grew up with a lot of hunting and fishing, but that's not really a good option for me anymore. I live halfway between DC and Baltimore, basically in a very, very uh, urban suburban area. And that's not really a reality of my life right now. But what I do um, in terms of beef, pork and lamb is um, get them through a local farmer and my friend through a quarterly CSA. So we pay every three months for 20 to 22 pounds of meat per month in the fall for the following three months and we just pick it up from the farm monthly and it's just kind of a selection of the three it's all 100% grass-fed um, pasture raised non-gmo you know she's she kind of goes really out of her way to kind of adopt all the best practices for um, you know raising meat of this kind. So it's really high quality. In terms of fish, you know, like um, salmon, especially, occasionally, I get that through bulk shares with friends who are connected to Alaskan fishermen. So they have connections with them. And we buy a whole bunch at once. And then it gets shipped here after it's been frozen on the boat. And then we split it up and all share it. Um, but more often, I have to do it through the grocery store. Sometimes I can get really high quality wild caught on sale. Um, and sometimes I use farmed salmon, you guys, you know, that like, like we were talking about earlier, eating, eating seafood is better for me than eating none. Um, so sometimes that's what I do. Um, I also, of course, use canned salmon, canned tuna, those kind of things so that I can get the best quality for a little cheaper. 
And then, like Mickey said, chicken is very hard to source even here. So occasionally I can get it through local farms, um, really high quality, you know, chicken that's been pastured and everything. But more often, um, I have to get it through the grocery store. And I usually try to pick really um, the best quality I could find in the grocery store. And when it's on sale, I'll tend to buy a lot of it and kind of stock up and then have it. Um, available. That said, we only have chicken in the rotation in our diet about once a week. So we don't have a super, super high need for it. But you know, I I keep it the best quality I can kind of stocked up in our freezer that way. Yeah, something I wanted to mention too is occasionally I will order online. So like US wellness meats, because I, you know, I order a lot of stuff throughout the year and then it's like August, our freezer is just full and then through the rest of the year, we're kind of draining through it. I'll run out of things like a, really often those organ meats, I just don't have enough and, and the farms will be out. Sometimes I order from US Wellness and I'll get their sugar-free bacon, which is pastured and it's really good and actually what I get is the ends and I use that to make my pâtés because they don't need to be slices. It's a lot cheaper than buying the slices of bacon. It's just kind of the ends from making the bacon. And then I'll also get chicken liver and beef liver and sometimes even like bison or lamb liver because they have the highest quality and they have pretty good prices on the organ meats and they ship everything frozen. So it's really convenient. Right. That's, I mean, in my, you know, for instance, in my CSA, I usually take advantage of a lot of the ground meats, you know, a lot of the other folks um, subscribing to that CSA with my farmer are looking for, you know, nice steaks and things like that. I'll usually try to get as much of the ground meat as I can um, and kind of stretch that really far. And as, you know, as much of the organs as I can get, I'll take them. But, you know, there's only one liver per animal, (laughs) only one heart per animal. So sometimes it's hard to source those even from my local farmer. I'm always like, keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody you have it. (laughs) Yeah. Once I was visiting my local farmer and and she was like, oh, that whole freezer is full of liver. You can have as much as you want. And I was like, you do know oh who gosh. you're talking to, right? <laughs> right. So you guys, yeah, the secret's awesome. kind of out. I've even noticed um, since I started writing about eating more organ meat, I think I wrote once on my blog, I, I mentioned my source and that I paid $3 a pound. And then someone emailed me and said, they've raised their prices to seven because everyone's buying them out of liver. And I was like, oh man, the secret's out. You guys, they know that people want it now. And uh, unfortunately, the price is going up just a little bit, but That all said, I think, um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I'm really excited to talk about this topic. And I think um, the reason I'm so excited is because I really do know my farmers and I really have become close friends with those people. And I really respect what they do. So I'm happy for them that they're seeing, you know, this positive change and being able to earn a living providing this really high quality food for all of us. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I, this is where the majority of my food budget goes is actually sourcing high quality meat. And I'm really happy to be spending um, a little more money than maybe I think it should cost. Although, uh, you know, when you visit the farm and you see how much work and we're actually seeing now with the pigs, actually how much effort and food it goes into to kind of feed these animals and and the time and just kind of rotating them around and and uh, cleaning up after them. It's a lot of work and it's very valuable and uh, and done well. You know, it's definitely worth it. I'm less likely to want to pay those same prices in the 
grocery store. So, you know, when you work directly with your farmer, you kind of see where your money is going. And then when you kind of go to those specialty grocers, and sometimes it's even more expensive than working directly with a farmer. And, um, you know, I'm really turned off by that. So I really don't buy a lot of meat or seafood at the grocery store if I can avoid it. Okay, you guys, um, we'll be back after the break to chat with a lady who's going to help us go even deeper into this topic. She basically knows everything about it. Stay tuned. A quick word from our title sponsor this season, the Nutritional Therapy Association. In the next segment, we're about to jump on the line with another NTP like myself, Diana Rogers. Both of us received our certifications from our podcast sponsor this season, the Nutritional Therapy Association. The NTA emphasizes local, whole, properly prepared, nutrient-dense foods like well-sourced meat as the key to restoring balance and enhancing the body's ability to heal. They are committed to educating the community about humane, sustainable farming practices, as well as about sourcing preparation and healing properties of well-raised and wild-caught animal products. Their nutritional therapy practitioner course has workshop venues all across the U.S., Canada, and Australia. So if this is something that you're in interested in, it's likely there will be a venue that works for you. Check out the free seven-day Nutritional Therapy 101 course and learn more about the NTP program at nutritionaltherapy.com. Hi, everybody. We are back with Diana Rogers. She is a real food licensed registered dietitian nutritionist and a fellow nutritional therapist. She lives on a working organic farm in Massachusetts. She's also an international speaker, author, podcast host, and mom. Plus, Diana is the force behind the upcoming documentary, Kale vs. Cow. It's safe to say that if you want to know anything about nutrition and sustainability, social justice, animal welfare, or food policy issues, she is the lady. We have tremendous respect at Autoimmune Wellness for Diana's work in our community. Welcome, Diana. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, thanks for being here. As you know, we're going to dive into the specifics of sourcing high-quality meat when undertaking a healing protocol like AIP, um, but in the most budget-conscious ways, and we know this is an area of expertise for you, and we're excited to pick your brain. Yeah, great. Shoot away with your questions. (laughs) Awesome. So first, Diana, we'd like to start out with a big why. So our audience should be familiar by now on the argument for eating animals that have been fed a biologically appropriate diet. But can you give us um, a simple rundown of why it's so important for us to care about our meat quality in this way? Sure. Well, there's there's, there's three main reasons, I think, that are so important to buy better meat. So one is just the nutrition aspects of it. Two would be the environmental benefits of it. So a little bit bigger picture. And then three would be the ethical reasons. So I'm on the board of animal welfare approved and animals that are raised in a way that works with nature, you know, much more close to, you know, how they would live in the wild is just, you know, not only environmentally better and produces better meat, but it's also kinder to the animals. And so, you know, when folks are sort of making their decisions about what kinds of meat to buy, I think that it should be equally important to want to source meat that was raised in a way that the animals were treated well, that um, they were given a, you know, a swift, humane slaughter, and that um, was in a way that is regenerative to our soils and to the land. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that regenerative quality to the soil, I think, is a really important piece that a lot of people really miss. Um, can you give some examples of maybe how animals can be raised in a way that actually heals the planet? Because I think a lot of people are familiar with the argument that animal husbandry is destroying the planet. Sure. I mean, my focus lately has been mostly on red meat because, first of all, it's the most nutrient dense um, when you look at far land farmed animals. So compared to chicken or pork, red meat from from ruminants uh, has B12 and iron and the other two do, don't really have that. And so um, and the fatty acid profile of grass fed red meat far exceeds that of, you know, typical chicken or pork. So um, it is possible to find pasture-raised chicken and pasture-raised pork, but it's a lot easier to find grass-fed beef. And so that's why I like to sort of focus more on that. And it's also the most vilified for health reasons and for environmental reasons, and wrongly so. So when we look at the environmental impact of well-managed cattle, what we see is a system that actually works much more similar to a healthy ecosystem out in nature. So when we have cows that are, or cattle, I should say, that are grazing in a well-managed system. So not just out on grass, it's even deeper than that. It's when they're managed in a way that, you know, some people call it holistic management, some people call it mob grazing. There's a bunch of different terms, but basically it's intensively grazing the cattle on a small piece of land and then moving them quite frequently in order to maximize the nutrition for the cattle. So they're not just running around picking at their favorite grasses and, and different species in there. Uh, they're, they're eating everything down and then they're quickly moved on so that the land has a chance to rest. And in that rest period is when we can see carbon sequestration. The, the um, manure is having a chance to inoculate the soil with healthy bacteria and it also supports just a healthy ecosystem with more pollinators, insects, with more birds. So it's a much healthier ecosystem um, when you look at cows that are managed that way, which is similar to if you picture, you know, herds of grazers in Africa moving, you know, across the savanna. They're they're moving quickly because they're they're moving away from predators. And we can mimic that with electric fencing and just keep on moving them. And that way, um, the land actually has a chance to heal and it's not overgrazed. Okay. That's, I mean, <laughs> we're getting, we're getting the full uh, education here, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how deep to go. Cause I know we don't have a ton of time, but uh, no, there's any, you know, I mean, there also their impact improves water holding capacity. So when it rains, the, the land actually acts more like a sponge instead of, you know, flooding and landslides, which can happen in, in more brittle environments. So particularly in areas where it's more desert-like, uh, grazing animals on that land instead of, of cropping it is just a win-win. That's awesome. So I'm a little bit curious now, Diana, I, and I know, I, you know, that it's easier to, you know, source grass-fed beef and how this works with the, with the cattle, but can you explain how does this work um, in terms of, of pork or chicken? Birds eat seeds. And so even people that raise pasture chicken generally feed their chickens grains. Um, because chickens and pigs are monogastric, they actually process grains a lot better than cattle, which are ruminants and really do best on grass. And so uh, here on our farm, we do chickens for eggs. Uh, we used to do chickens for meat, but it's actually 
to do it right, it's quite expensive. And, you know, people just aren't used to paying $25, $30 for a chicken. You know, they're used to paying, I don't know, what do I pay at Whole Foods? $10 or something like that, or, or even less at a conventional store. And what we do on uh, to to make it a more you know regenerative system is we run our grazing animals through the fields and then we follow with the chickens and the chickens are actually aerating the soil they're scratching around they're eating any parasites that might be left from the grazing animals and their manure actually is fertilizing the soil as well and their eggs are like 20 times higher in omega-3s. And I think Joel Salatin's chickens were tested at like 4,000 times higher beta carotene than than a typical uh, egg. Uh, With our pigs, we run them through the woods and they're doing a couple of things for us. They're uh, clearing the land for us. So pigs are really good at eating lots of brush and rooting. So kind of um, literally like chomping on roots. And, um, so they're, they're doing that. They're eating a lot of leftover crops that we can't sell anyway, because they might not be as pretty or, um, you know, maybe the outer leaves of the lettuce when we're harvesting are not as nice. And so we'll save those. We give those to the pigs. They love that stuff. They actually prefer like broccoli and lettuce to grain. But then because we're in new England, uh, we also do feed them, uh, a soy free organic grain as well. Um, and again, pigs do very well on grain. They can convert that grain to incredibly nutrient-dense protein. So I, I think there's a place for all animals, but grazing animals in particular are one of the best species we can have. So like bison, lamb, uh, goats, and and cows are, are the best ones that we have for really um, regenerating grasslands and soil. Really cool. Diana, how do you um, see some of the issues maybe facing the accessibility? Because, you know, this this type of really um, well-produced, ethically and sustainably produced meat is not available to a lot of people, both because, you know, it's it's an affordability thing, but also the nature of the local food system is just that it's not really going to work to be putting that meat in a store, right? People are going to kind of be buying direct from their farmer um how do you see that shift like how how can people find out more about where they can find a farm like yours where they're kind of raising meat in this way sure there's there's different websites people can go to to search for locally produced meat so if people you know make the investment of having a freezer and want to buy directly from a farmer that's ideal it's not practical for everybody not everyone has the time or space or free t- you know just desire right to like go visit a farm but if folks want to do that, eatwild.com or localharvest.org are two websites where they can connect directly with farmers near them or maybe through their local Weston A. Price chapter. Um, And then I really highly recommend that they visit the farm and look because you can learn a lot. Just, you know, is that cow, does it look like that cow's been on that same patch of land for a long time and is the grass super, super short and is it really patchy or do you see a lot of electric fencing and the farmers moving their animals around? So that would be a much better system. Um, and then, you know, it should feel clean. It should look clean. There shouldn't be strong smells. Um, there shouldn't be a, you know, everything should be mobile basically, um, which is the healthiest way to, um, raise animals. And then, you know, the next, 
level would be going to a farmer's market, talking to the farmers, finding out about their practices there. So that might be a little bit easier for people that are in a more urban environment and maybe don't have, um, you know, space or, or the money to have a chest freezer and really make a big investment at once. So I think sustainability can look like a lot of different things depending on who you're talking to and what level they're at. So it doesn't have to be everybody buying directly from a farm, um, even though that's that's optimal. It might be unrealistic if we're trying to really convert a lot of people. But I think the biggest thing we need to do is really educate people on why it's so important to buy their meat this way and to really break down those um, ideas that meat is unhealthy or that red meat is unhealthy and that people should be eating more CAFO chicken. Um, so like typically raised chicken or pork um, compared to beef. So, you know, grass-fed beef is one of the, again, the most nutritious and uh, when raised well, one of the most environmentally beneficial animals we can have um, for food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot a big hesitation from people, even when they are, you know, okay, eating paleo and AIP and eating red meat, they still tend to kind of prioritize the chicken because they're so indoctrinated that 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 lower fat meat is going to be better for them when they mm-hmm. kind of haven't opened up to that understanding about the nutrient density and about the affordability. I mean, the grass fed beef, I don't know for you guys, but for me to get the highest quality beef, that's the cheapest protein that I can find around here sourced at the highest level. So yeah, and and that nutrient density piece is really important. We need to also open up to other cuts of meat too, right? Like ground meat is a lot cheaper. We don't all have to eat tenderloin all the time. And one of the nice things about buying a whole animal or even living on a farm where we raise animals is I have a much bigger respect for you know, the life of that animal and using all the pieces and, you know, saving the bones and making stock from the bones and everything. So I'm, I'm much less likely to waste it if I've, you know, know, know the animal or have spent a lot of money on that animal and, you know, really make that connection that, um, you know, a life is now being transformed into food for me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Diana, you said, you know, that you feel like one of the most important things we can do is help people understand the why in terms of sourcing this kind of quality of meat and shifting our budgets to focus on this kind of quality of meat. If we were, you know, if somebody in our audience was having this conversation with a friend or family member for the first time, where where do you think is the most important place to start with that why? Hmm. I mean, I think just it's hard because as a, as a dietitian, uh, you know, with my clinical practice, just eat meat, right? Like just, just start right. eating meat, um, and just fix yourself. And then, you know, some people stop there, some people, but what I've also found is that people that have really transformed their health. Uh, so coming from a place where they were really unhealthy, really sick with an autoimmune disease, those are the best ones to then take it a step further Mm -hmm. and really focus on their sourcing. Um, much more so than people that maybe just wanted, you know, their four pack to become a six pack or something like that. Right. Uh, Um, and so, um, so I think that, um, people that have really, you know, seen a huge, health transformation just in eating better quality food, then we'll go towards, you know, looking a little bit deeper and trying to support the producers that are doing it right. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, Mickey and I are uh, like amening over here. <laughs> yeah, we definitely um, relate to that. And they're the, you know, as a practitioner too, they're the most satisfying for me to work with because they'll do anything to change their health, right? Um, so I guess going back to your initial question, if we're trying to have a conversation with people. Alan Savory's TED Talk is a really good one to watch. Uh, maybe you could put it in your show notes. But that that's a really great kind of people need to understand the big picture of why we need more diversity in a healthy ecosystem, why animals can help increase that, and why plant-based agriculture and grain-based agriculture is actually destroying our soils. And so animals that eat grains, like chicken and pork in general, are just not as sustainable as animals that eat only grass. And, um, and just a quick note, too, because this comes up a lot for people that just aren't familiar with the different types of agriculture, but there's cropland and then there's pasture land. And most of our agricultural land is actually much better suited to pasture than to cropping. And so you just can't grow kale and lettuce and, and grains everywhere, but you can graze animals on, on most of the earth's surface. And so, you know, think of Mongolia, think of Iceland, think of, uh, you know, most of Africa. I mean, there's just not enough water for the irrigation. There's, you know, hills, there's rocks, there's all kinds of things that would hold back from, from, you know, a cropping system. And even the areas that we are cropping, we're using largely chemical ag in order to do that instead of small scale, sustainable agriculture that actually incorporates animals too. So on our farm, we raise vegetables and meat and we do everything in a rotational regenerative way. I love it. Yeah, I totally, I, I could, I could just go on and on. Maybe you can tell our listeners, how can they get involved in this movement, both in terms of like their own sourcing actions as consumers, like what are the, the, the top actions that they can take um, with their pocketbooks, but then also in terms of just kind of straight up activism, how, how could they best get involved? Sure. Uh, well, they could, follow my newsletter and, and all the work that I'm doing and, and learn more about all those things there. So this, it's a, it's a deep and complex subject to really dive into. And so it requires just a lot of basic education on ecological systems, learning about the Savory Institute, uh, and, and other people that are, that are using regenerative agriculture to heal the land. I've got a film project that I'm working on. Yes, so, please uh, tell everybody about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the film project is called Kale versus Cow, and I'll be looking at the nutrition, environmental, and ethical reasons why we need more better meat, basically, in our diet. So we need more of a demand for it. We need to understand the nutritional implications. We need to understand the environmental implications and, and why, you know, from a perspective of least harm, why actually consuming well-managed grass-eating large ruminants is actually causing less harm than a plant-based diet from, from many different perspectives. And so we'll be interviewing a lot of nutrition experts, um, people that are measuring their, you know, carbon sequestration, um, on their farms. And so we can actually see the results. So it's not just, you know, something that, 
you know, if you visit a farm and you, you see the pastures look healthy, but we actually have quantifiable results now. And then we'll be diving into the ethics because honestly, that is the biggest driver, I think, behind why people decide to give up meat. It's really sort of this emotional you know, a quandary that they're facing when when they're looking at the idea that an animal died in order for them to eat. And so we'll sort of be we'll be taking a very sensitive dive into that. And I I, you know, want to make it clear that if I lived in a city and, and didn't understand food production and my only nutrition education were was, um, you know, films like Cowspiracy or What the Health, I'd probably be vegan too, um, except for the fact that I'm celiac and, uh, and, and it would probably wreck my health because I, I just don't do well on a plant-based diet. And I get why people feel uncomfortable about eating meat, but I also want to point out that a lot of death actually happens in order for plants to, to land on your plate. And so I'll be, I'll be really sensitively diving into that as well. Um, and so we have a campaign it's at sustainabledish.com forward slash film. And so folks can see me on my farm. I'll be explaining, I have a video there explaining what the film is about. I've got a nice video endorsement from Joel Salatin and, um, some cool perks and all that. And, um, we'll be updating people as we move forward with our project. So that's it too. And I also am learning about more opportunities for people to get involved. Um, I've got a, a call with somebody tomorrow actually, and I'll be um, posting some information about how people can actually get involved in document, you know, helping to document the successes of this sort of nutrient dense pasture-based farming. So, awesome. um, so I'll be putting that out in my newsletter as well. We're so looking forward to all of the stuff you're doing, Diana. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's really great. You guys definitely, you know, plug into Diana's resources and, you know, check out like that Savor Institute video. I know that TED Talk was really transformative for me when I watched it the first time. It just kind of clicked. So all, all of the stuff she's talking about is kind of next level and we all need to get involved in order to kind of change the food system. It's really needed um, to save both our health and the planet. So well, and if our if our listeners aren't uh, you know sure about the Savory Institute, back when we ran the Autoimmune Wellness Library bundle sale, a lot of you guys um, helped donate to the Savory Institute. So great work there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana, for agreeing to have this conversation with us today. For those of you guys listening back home, we'll be back next week. Uh, you guys have a great one. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We are honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. Did you know that we have dozens of informative articles about living well with autoimmune disease and over 250 elimination phase compliant recipes on our website, updated multiple times per week? Make sure to click on over to autoimmunewellness.com, follow us on social media, and sign up for our newsletter to find out about all of this new content. We're either at Autoimmune Paleo or at Autoimmune Wellness on any of these channels, and you can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of any page on our website. Don't forget to connect with the AIP community by using the hashtag Autoimmune Wellness. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as this helps others find us. See you next time. Thank you.